The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. A tip of the cap and a start of the show. Good day to you all. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Fantasy NBA Today, a hoop ball presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vespers, and we are getting right down to business today because my schedule is jammed, so no dawdling, no meandering. Well, there may be some meandering. That's uh, kind of my thing, but I do want to get straight down to business and tell you what's going on on today's program. First, you can follow me on Twitter at Dan Vespers. D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. If you're wondering why I have paused to swallow, it's because I was finishing a Tums, because that's the guy you listen to every day. Uh, D-A-N-B-E-S-B-R-I-S. This is a HoopBall presentation. That's hoop-ball.com and at HoopBall tweets on Twitter. I mentioned on yesterday's show, we have a brand new podcast at HoopBall. We actually have two of them over the last two weeks. The first one we told you about last week. William Harris, and the all-rookie pod. And this one actually goes with it, I think, relatively well. Not that they're uh, sister podcasts or anything like that. The It's just that they kind of fall under a similar heading, and that is the Dynasty Pod. It's a show dedicated exclusively to Dynasty Leagues and everything that goes into them. So drafts. Uh, the the not just fantasy drafts, the real draft that's coming up next month, how that pertains to Dynasty Leagues, every trade that goes down in the NBA, what does that mean for Dynasty Leagues? It is the long view. And I got to tell you guys, the response on our new shows has been awesome over the last couple of days. So thank you to everybody that's checked them out. I hope you're enjoying them the uh, the way that I have and and as excited as I've been to see them come to fruition I think we're going to have a really, really, really good time with those. So check those out. The first one is called the All Rookie Podcast. William Harris, the host of that one. The Dynasty Show is called Punt Intended, a fantasy NBA dynasty pod that's hosted by Rhett Bauer and Travis Fuller. Those are available anywhere podcasts can be found. You can also just find them over at hoop-ball.com. On today's show, we'll be talking about the results of last night's Hawks thumping of the Milwaukee Bucks. And we'll sort of uh, roll straight on to the Suns-Clippers game tonight happening in Los Angeles before we turn our attention to our third team breakdown as we work our way through the NBA. We did Lakers and Clippers the last two days. We'll continue our Pacific Division tour with the Golden State Warriors. That'll be the second half of today's podcast. So let's just dive right on in. What did we see yesterday in Atlanta? Well, first of all, we saw Giannis uh, hyperextend a knee And we know now from testing today that there's been no structural damage, but also that the timetable for him to get back is unclear. Trey Young sat that ball game out. He was unable to go, which surprised the hell out of me, by the way. I figured he was going to push his way into the thing. The line actually was set yesterday with sort of this weird in-between number of Milwaukee by seven. And if Young was in, that would have dropped. And then with him ultimately being ruled out, it, it fell all the way down to nine. I don't know what you say. It grew to nine. I guess it depends on what side of this thing you're looking at it from. But 
there was never any reason, we said it on yesterday's podcast, there was never any reason to really bet this thing before the ball game started, but you could see right from the outset that the Hawks came ready to play and the Bucks came ready to sleepwalk into a, a, a game with no Trey Young. They figured it was injured star theory happening in the playoffs and it tells you everything you need to know about the Milwaukee Bucks as a team. They still don't have that that killer instinct that just... It isn't there. There's a lack of focus that creeps in. And now, compound that with an injury to Giannis, things have really turned on their head in this series. The things the Bucks were doing well, getting out and running, rebounding, all of that, none of it happened in yesterday's ballgame. Hawks just thumped them. Final total, by the way, once again did not crack 200. And that actually played pretty hard so i think our handicap of this game was right on the money which was to say look if trey young is out you're going to get a giant number you're going to get the hawks playing above their heads i also said if trey young is out the hawks are going to want to turn this thing into a bit of a slugfest and sure enough the possessions the total number of possessions this ball game was exceptionally low 84 shots for the bucks 85 for the hawks only 32 combined free throws 26 turnovers a bit on the high side for the two teams but really if you add it all up, you're talking about what did the Hawks? I mean, you're going to have fewer possessions when you make a lot of your shots. You know that that sort of artificially, to some degree, depresses the number. But the Hawks only had about 102-103 possessions in this ballgame. Bucks had a few more than that for whatever reason, offensive rebounds, whatever you want to call it. They were closer to like 108. But still, you push that together, and it was a very clear under which we talked about again on yesterday's show if you recall on yesterday's podcast i talked about the fact that with trey young out not only will the ability for the hawks to score be a little bit tougher well they sort of threw that in our faces because they shot the ball really well but they weren't going to be running the same way they were going to try to limit possessions and win a defensive ball game the previous game uh bucks had about 110 possessions and the Hawks had about 105. So the, the combined total there was closer to 215. This one yesterday uh, was closer to about 211. So, yeah, the game slowed down a little bit. Was that because of Trey Young? It's hard to say. The ball game got pretty loose late, where normally in a fourth quarter you actually might see it slow down more. So, believe it or not, I actually thought this ball game could have been even slower if it was closer into the fourth quarter, it wasn't. Or we may, you know, 198 was the final combined total. This thing might not have cracked 190, if not for things opening up a little bit. But the Bucks shot the ball very poorly. You can pin a bit of it on that. Giannis being hurt is a really big deal. Because as much as defending him, there's a pretty clear path to it. He also changes the complexion of the ballgame. He's a terrific defender, very good rebounder, unreal in space. And the Bucks lose all of that. So again, as much as his game is not really built for the playoffs, so to speak, he, they're substantially better as a team when Giannis is there. That feels like a dumb thing to say, but I felt like I needed to say it because he takes a lot of heat for lack of focus in the postseason and sort of lack of postseason style of play. He's way better than whatever dinkered they're going to throw into his place Bobby Portis or Pat Connaughton or someone's going to pick up these minutes and it's not going to look good so then 
you look towards the next game, which is tomorrow. Bucks are favored by just two and a half at home. That's an expectation that Giannis is not playing in that ball game. We still don't really know what's going on with Trey Young. How close was he yesterday? I think we're led to believe it was quite close, but we don't know. And a total of 216, which is basically where yesterday's ball game finished, even though the two, two, the two clubs played to that 198 final score. The expectation, I think, for the next ball game is that if Trey Young is in and Giannis is out, the pace on the Hawks side, then suddenly they probably want to play a little bit more loose, and it'll be the Bucks who probably want to try to limit how many easy opportunities the Hawks get. So it's, it's, it really does, once again, come down to who can steer the game the way they want it. Now, if Trey Young sits that one out again, I think you'll see the inevitable downturn of what the Hawks are ever are trying to do on the offensive side. Generally, you get these one-game bursts when a superstar is out and then other teams make their adjustment. But I think he's playing. I think Trey is back. I think Giannis is out. And so, suddenly... Doing that same damn thing again where I keep saying the word so in the middle of a sentence. I don't know where that crept into the my vernacular, but I'm going to wipe it out here. Once again, you have my word. Milwaukee favored by two and a half points. That's, that's low. It's very low, and it's probably going to be a close ball game, so I don't like the side at all. The total of 216 is hard to bet into without knowing who's going to play, though I would argue Milwaukee's going to have a tough time scoring if Atlanta takes this game as seriously as I believe they do. So I can't help but think that maybe you look back at an under again. We can talk more about that on tomorrow's show. As far as today goes in the playoffs, Phoenix is in L.A. Suns are favored by one. I'm seeing some folks that want to consider themselves gambling experts on Twitter talking about big line movement. This game opened at Clippers by one. It's moved through zero. You guys are fantasy enthusiasts. I don't know if you care about this, but one thing that you learn from talking to anyone who's bet sports for any small amount of time is that moving through zero is the lowest monetary shift in gambling. It takes the least amount of money to move through pick'em in basketball. It doesn't matter. It's like it's not there. It jumps because there's no point really in sitting on a pick'em. A game can't end in a tie. So it doesn't help anyone. So it does, it's a move, but it's not as significant as people might think. All it's telling us is that some money came in on the Phoenix Suns. And I get it. On yesterday's show, I talked about how I thought the Suns would probably win this ballgame. I don't think they're buckling under the pressure. I think Paul George is going to have, he's going to have to have another game like he did the last one for the Clippers to to survive this thing. We, we had heard these rumblings that Kawhi Leonard was had an outside shot of playing today. I believe that's been squashed now. I don't much care for the total of 215. It's a 214.5 in some places. I, it could creep to the under as this series continues to slow down. I liked the over in that last ball game because I thought they had over-adjusted the number. Now I think the number's pretty damn tight. So uh, lean to the Suns on the, uh, the ball game this evening and no real feel on the total in the kind of a weird twist but let's talk fantasy that's what i want to get into today i don't don't spend more than six seven minutes on the gambling side this we're in team by teams right now and i believe that this is where we can really set ourselves up for success next year the golden state warriors they are expensive (laughs) I didn't think of the right word for this thing. They are expensive. Uh, 
Steph Curry is on the final year of his deal, $46 million. Clay Thompson is in the second year of his deal. Steph's deal, Steph's year, uh, is in the final year of a uh, five-year deal for $200 million. Clay's is the second year of a five-year deal. Uh, no, third year of a five-year deal that he hasn't really played in very much. $38 million. Andrew Wiggins is in the penultimate year of his deal, which still has $64 million left on it. Draymond Green still has at least two years and a player option for a third at about 25 mil per season. James Wiseman, the rookie deal, is close to $10 million. Kevon Looney has a player option for $5 million. He'll probably take because dude can't stay on the floor. And the only real money coming off the books that the Warriors would care about, I mean, I think they'll bring back most of the the uh, non-guaranteed guys like Damian Lee, Michael Mulder, Eric Paschal, Juan Toscano. No, his is guaranteed, excuse me. Those guys will be back, but they don't do any damage. That, that combined list of names there is worth about $9, 10 $11 million to their contract. Kent Bazemore's 2.5 mils off the books, and the big one is Kelly Oubre. His 14.5 mils off the books, but everybody else got raises, so the salary slated for this coming season is only like a million dollars less than last year, and they're just way, way, way into the into cap issues. And I think they're like almost 40 or $50 million over it, so they're paying through the nose. What does that tell us about the team? Similar to what we talked about on yesterday's show with respect to the Clippers, it means that we have a pretty damn good idea of what this team is going to look like on opening day, so we can do a decent job of handicapping them right now. With one, it's not minor, medium-sized exception, and that is because the season, I think in all of our minds, we're like, oh, Clay Thompson, he got hurt during the preseason a little before that this last year, right? Wasn't it during that short offseason? He got hurt during that short offseason leading up to the preseason. So give him a full year to recover. He should be ready to go. Eh. The season's starting two months earlier this year than it did last season. So we're very close to the one-year mark on Clay Thompson's recovery when the season is starting as opposed to him having a full year and then another even month or two to get himself ready. So I don't know that Clay's going to be ready on opening day. What I do know is that I'm not drafting him anywhere. I don't care what the reports say leading up to the start of the season. Clay is not going to be playing as many minutes as he did the last time he was healthy. He is not going to be playing more than 90% of his team's games, and I don't think it actually gets all that close to that this coming season, not when you've missed two full years due to catastrophic injury. Dude last played in 2019. I love Clay Thompson. Who doesn't? He's a likable fellow, and he's a hell of a shooter, but a lot of his value was tied up in his ability to jump, release fast, and he was one of the better one-on-one defenders in the NBA. You used to set your clock to Clay Thompson's fantasy line. 20 points, four boards, two and a half assists, a steal, three three-pointers on 46 to 47% shooting from the field and 87-ish 
percent at the free throw line. He did that like four years in a row before his injury. You could just write him in as a top 30 to 35 per game guy who generally played 90% of his team's games or thereabouts, but that's just not him anymore. Maybe it will be again. He's 31 right now, so there's time left, I would think, on his career to get back near full strength, but it ain't this season. There will be scheduled rest days, probably every single back-to-back, at least the first, at least through the All-Star break, and there will be nagging stuff because guys just don't come back from this type of absence and injury at full strength and fully healthy and playing every day. I think you'd be considering yourself incredibly lucky if Thompson plays 68 out of 82 games this coming year. I don't think he gets to that mark because if he misses a few games even at the beginning of the year and sits out the back-to-backs, now you're looking at 62. And maybe that's a better handicap. Assume he misses 20 games this coming season. So how far does a guy like that have to fall if we think he might only play 28, 29 minutes of ball game on the season and all of his numbers get pulled back down? He'd probably have to get drafted in the 70s, 80s range for that to even be close to worth it. And that probably isn't happening. What does it mean for the other guys on the team? Well, Steph Curry is incredible, and he rekindled that this last year. He played exactly, well, as close to 90% of his team's games. Uh, no, I mean, I guess it's just slightly sub 90%. Eh, 63 out of 72. Sorry, I guess it would have been like between 64 and 65 games. So just slightly sub 90%, which this year was solid. He actually got a slight boost in totals as opposed to per game because nobody played nobody played 63 more games this year. What a crapshoot this season turned out to be in some regards. But Steph's going to be great again next year. Even if there is a slight hit to the usage rate, he does all of these things and he does them easily. He's shown himself to be a bit more durable. They are going to want to prove something during the regular season because they don't want that play-in situation again, which they ran into this year. And even though their guys are starting to get a little bit older, they see it. If they weren't in the play-in tournament, they'd have had some kind of shot. What if they got the Jazz? We saw the Jazz got a little bit exposed. They probably would have beaten the Warriors. Suns probably would have beaten the Warriors. But if you get yourself into a seven-game series, you never know who might get hurt. Mike Conley missed that series. LeBron wasn't healthy. AD missed half the series. Chris Paul ended up in COVID protocols in between series. Everybody's been hurt. That was such a tiny fraction of the number of injuries we've seen this year. Suffice it to say, I'm not super worried about Steph. He's still a top three pick to me. I'd be very surprised if anyone didn't take Jokic number one, although we've already heard now that he's probably looking at rest days this coming year. So that that does throw things into a state of turmoil a little bit. So Steph, possible number one. Jokic, possible number one. Steph, probably not 22 shots a game. But you can go back and you can look at his numbers when the Warriors, not the KD Warriors, the pre-KD Warriors, when Steph was putting up his MVP-level numbers, Remember that obscene season where he shot basically 50%, five three-pointers a game? I mean, those were those were wild, wild seasons. The pre-2015-2016, I think, is the year, if I'm 
remembering that right. Yeah, let's pull this up. Uh, 20 shots a game, 30 points, 5.5 rebounds, 6.7 assists, 2 steals, and 5 three-pointers a night. Oh, and a casual 91% on uh, 5 three-pointers a game. That was the only year, actually, in his career where he had taken 20 or more shots in a season until this year. So what I think you can do is take Andrew Wiggins' stuff and give a lot of that to Clay Thompson, take all of Kelly Oubre's stuff and pretty much just give that straight to Clay Thompson, and you're looking at a team that's still going to give Steph very close, very close to 20 shots per game. Maybe more like the 19. He had some seasons where he was hovering around 19. The KD years, he was in the 18 to 19 range. I think it might even be a little bit higher than that this coming season. So I still love Steph as a top three pick. I'm not super worried about that. I think what perhaps, not that I, I I don't think anybody's really worried about Steph Curry. The only question there was, would you consider taking him inside the top three? And, And from a narrative standpoint, it makes a lot of sense because the Warriors, they know their window is closing they're getting Clay back, so they probably feel like next year is going to be one of their best opportunities. They might make a trade using James Wiseman. We've heard that, and that could shake things up a little bit. But I also think that one of the key names to watch is Draymond Green, who got off to a slow start this year, but actually ended up having a really good fantasy season. He finished at number 57 on a per-game basis this year. Seven boards, uh, sorry, seven points seven boards, and nine assists, 1.7 steals, 0.8 blocks, played just like Steph in 63 regular season games, and I think you can probably pencil him in for about 85 to 90% of his team's games this coming year. I also think he's going to play with a certain fire that he had for stretches this season. Will he ever get back to the stuff he did a few years back where he was scoring 13 points a game? No. No. But he is their orchestrator now, and eight to nine assists per ballgame is actually not that crazy. It's not. You could see him very easily replicating next year what he did this season and maybe even having more fun if the Warriors are winning more ballgames. He was at his best when he had all of those superstar scorers around him. Put another scorer in there. That's better than Kelly Oubre or Andrew Wiggins, and hopefully Clay Thompson will continue to be some facsimile of that guy. And it could help Draymond. He was better as the season went on. It's a little too early, I think, to talk about exactly where you might draft a guy like Draymond Green. But I don't think it's that nuts to see that top 60 marker for this year and think it's possible he gets back there again. Same thing with Steph in the top three. The guy on the Warriors I'm dodging is Klay Thompson, even though there may be some that argue he's the best value of the bunch. I just, I strongly disagree. You cannot have a guy like that who's not going to get you, who has almost no chance of hitting the games played total you would need to see value out of it. It just doesn't happen. Chris Stops Porzingis was probably your best case scenario of a guy coming off a giant injury, and even he couldn't quite hit his marker. 
I thought Kemba Walker was going to be one. We, you know, we drafted him in a couple of spots. Good as he may have looked on a per-game basis, he didn't get there by totals. And we've talked about this a thousand times. Unless someone falls really far, and in head-to-head, I'm just not doing it at all. But in Roto, maybe if he fell 70s, 80s, and you just sit on it for a month or whatever it is, and his game's missed, you just chalk it up, whatever. Head-to-head, you, couldn't, you could never touch a guy like that. Missing 20 games, probably? Brutal. And you don't know when they're going to come. You can try to game out the, the back-to-back stuff. Andrew Wiggins, no. Kick him to the curb. He's set to lose a whole bunch with Clay coming back. Moves right in front of him in the pecking order. James Wiseman, no thanks. Especially if he stays in Golden State because the Warriors were markedly better when Draymond Green was their center. Wiseman's going to play. He'll play. He, he may be worth a flyer, but we haven't seen it yet. What did James do this year? 21 and a half minutes per ball game, 11 and a half points, six boards, a block, good field goal percent, bad free throw percent. He was number 280 on a per game basis in nine category leagues. That is a long way to go. If you're talking about fantasy stat set. He didn't block enough shots. He didn't rebound enough. He didn't score enough. Really, the only thing you got out of him was a good field goal percent. And he was a bit of an anchor weight in some other stuff. Nope. Now, if he gets traded, we reassess all this stuff. Like if Pascal Siakam ends up in Golden State, then yeah, a lot changes, particularly for pretty much everyone not named Steph Curry in that instance. Although that does probably push Draymond Green into the starting center spot full-time, and you kind of have to like that. I don't care about the backups on this team. You're not going that far down the board. The thing you'd look for on the Warriors is something like, well, what if if James Wiseman was someone who had a better per-36 marker? That's a direction you think about going. He doesn't. If Andrew Wiggins had a better per-36, you think about that direction. He doesn't. If Clay Thompson was supposed to be healthy by, like, right now, you'd think about that. He isn't. And as it turns out, I guess, sort of didn't think about this going into the show, the Warriors are not a supremely interesting team to handicap for next season, at least not yet. I think the, the, the big statements to take away from this episode is, one, I'm not that worried about Steph going into next year, there, there's a reason to be a little bit cautious on the notion that could he be number one? I actually, I actually think the answer is yes, because on a per-game basis, the only guys that were even all that close to Steph were obviously Jokic, who was ahead of him, Kyrie Irving, who, I mean, there's no way he keeps up with Steph in the games played department, Kawhi Leonard, same issue, uh, Jimmy Butler, Joel Embiid, James Harden, if he plays a full healthy year, I like I don't know how many of those guys you could look at and say, well, you know, this this is a guy who could somehow eclipse Steph. Let's say that Steph does take a step back, that he takes instead of 21 and a half shots a game that it's more like 19 and a half shots per game. That's significant because he does average close to a point and a half per shot attempt. So you might be looking at more like 28 29 points per game but the other stuff assists has a chance to be better next year steals actually has a chance to be better if he doesn't have to carry so much of the load 
Free throws, yes, you would assume that that volume comes back. Turnovers probably come down ever so slightly. So you're talking about a small step back for Steph. But again, if Jokic doesn't have quite the same 57-87 splits on percentages next year, we know he's going to rest some ball games, so the gap there shrinks. There isn't an obvious other choice in that group where I think you keep Steph in the uppermost echelon. I, Clay's return does not bump him down the line for me. Bringing in someone else, we could reassess again. You might be thinking more along the Steph during the Kevin Durant years. But whoever they come in, bring in wouldn't be as good as Durant was anyway. So yeah, so there. And then on the Draymond Green front, I don't see any reason why his shots could go down season over season. Playing time shouldn't go down. The only path I see here is actually up, and that's if James Wiseman, who can only play center, gets moved by the Warriors, then then Green is just sort of the full-time center with Kevon Looney soaking up. I mean, maybe he starts. I doubt it. If they traded for Pascal Siakam, the Warriors would be nuts not to start Steph, Clay, Wiggins, Siakam, and Draymond Green. That's a serious lineup when Clay gets back to full strength. So I actually think Draymond Green's arrow is pointed sideways or even ever so slightly up. Guys will get their rest days, but they want to win some games. They do not want to get stuck in that 7-8 hole again if the play-in tournament sticks for next year. So look for the Warriors to try to have a good season. That'd be a team I would consider an over-season win total bet, although, again, you have to wait and see on personnel and Clay Thompson's health and things of that nature. But I think they're going to be trying hard, and that's something you have to handicap going into a season. Is a team going to be trying hard? We kind of got it wrong on Paul George last year. I thought he was going to be going this year, and he sat out a bunch of ballgames anyway. But that, to me, is the case for the Warriors. And then Clay Thompson is going to get a lot of rest days, so just to probably avoid that one, unless the price is just obscene. And that's it. That's where I want to end. We're going a half an hour on today's show. Busy day. We all got to get stuff crammed in. Enjoy the playoffs tonight. Tomorrow, we'll hit you with a double dose of promos on the pod, and we'll cover our second-to-last team from the Pacific Division. Just two left. The Kings and the Suns. And I was hoping to hold off on doing the Suns until after the playoffs were over for them. But uh, if they win tonight, obviously that uh, will will not be a possibility. So uh, one of the next two days that you'll get those two teams, we'll figure it out as we go. Kings, Suns, Kings are going to actually going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to that one. They are interesting. <laughs> it's kindest, the kindest way I can put it. I'm Dan Bespris. This is Fantasy NBA Today. So long. <laughs>